Hey, man. It's Patrick. I wanted to call because I was on my way to a gig and um, was listening to your interview with uh, Brian Landris. And there's a point in the interview where you say, I just want uh, all long-term listeners to just uh, tune, tune me out for something or stop listening for the next 30 or 45 seconds or so because I'm about to say something that blah, blah, blah. And I literally stopped listening while you were talking. And then about 30 or 45 seconds, I realized that my mind had wandered to something else and that you were still talking. And I thought it was hilarious that that I did that. And, and I don't know what that means exactly, but I thought I would let you know. All right. I'll talk to you later. Bye. I'm John Crane. And I'm Bernie Crane. You're listening to The Jazz Session with our dad, Jason Crane. Lesson one, basic hip. Welcome to the Jazz Session. I'm Jason Crane. This is episode 430 for March 3rd, 2014. Today's guest is Allison Wedding. Stay tuned at the end of the show to learn how to win one of Allison's CDs. Thank you to the following Kickstarter donors who helped make this season possible. Peter Eldridge, Lori Pepper, Nelda Hill, Saskia Trump, Tommaso Capolato, Tim Schneier, Chris Teal, Chris Kelsey, Leva Judic, John Roach, Jennifer Cornish, Faye Victor, Dan Wilcox, Myra Melford, Ed Fetter, Eli Asher, Joe Feidler, Dan Cray, Joel Harrison, Avram Pfeffer, Kat Torin, Genevieve Legacy, Joel Rodriguez, Otto Bruno, Russell Martacci, Fred Siebert, Kent Peterson, Chris Maskell, Russell Whitworth, Stephen Bono, Catherine Schelt, Larry Seaman, and Michael Zarnecki. More names on the next episode. Remember, for $5 a month, you can become a member of the Jazz Session. It gets you two MP3s with every show, plus other exclusive content. For this episode, I'm uploading free MP3s by today's guest, Allison Wedding, and also a live performance by Aidan Carroll recorded at Smalls last summer featuring John Ellis on the saxophone. Thanks to the following people who've joined since the last episode, Andrew Anton and Wes Reed. To join and kick in your five bucks a month, visit thejazzsession.com slash join. Where does the money go? Well, here's what I've decided to do with the monthly memberships. There's just about enough of them now to fund a monthly trip to New York City. We need to get maybe ten more members or so at the current level of five bucks a month. And then each month I can go to New York, and if we can get that going, then the show can go back to coming out at least once a week, which would be fabulous, instead of every other week as it does now. Right now I've got a trip scheduled at the end of March, so our every other week schedule will continue uh, at least through this month with another show in two weeks, and then... Maybe, if we're lucky, even by April we can get it to once a week. Uh, and that all depends on you, so please go to thejazzsession.com slash join and kick in your five bucks a month. Remember, you can rate the show in iTunes and also write a review. It helps the show move up in the rankings and means more people will find it. You can also go to thejazzsession.com and leave a comment in the show notes for this episode. Also, you'll find a store at thejazzsession.com slash store, or just go to thejazzsession.com and click on the link across the top. And when you go there, you can purchase the CDs by the artists who are on the show via Amazon. And a little bit of your purchase price comes back to the Jazz Session. Now remember, you can go to the store, thejazzsession.com slash store, and click on any of the links, and then buy anything you want. Even if you decide not to buy one of those CDs and you decide to buy, you know, a yacht or a small plane or whatever, a little bit of your purchase price at no extra cost to you will come back to me. So, in fact, I encourage you to go buy a CD and buy a yacht because, obviously, the percentage of a yacht's price is significantly higher than the percentage of a CD. So if you want to help the show, buy a yacht. That's the message of the jazz session. It's a show of the people, really. 
Today's guest is a good friend of mine, Allison Wedding, and I really, really, really love her singing. In fact, uh, I heard a, some bit of her singing, I can't even remember how, somebody linked to it on Twitter or something, and just immediately knew that this was someone who I wanted to hear more from. And then over time, we became friends as well, and I was happy to get a chance to visit Allison and to record this interview. Now, at the end of this interview, you're going to hear another little interview that was done when Allison and Nadia Nordhaus and I were having ramen at Naruto Ramen in Brooklyn, which is awesome, and I highly recommend, Fifth Avenue and Garfield in Brooklyn. Uh, we went out to have ramen, and Nadia had heard a story about Allison that I hadn't heard, and that Allison neglected to mention in, in this interview, and it's such a good story that I wanted to make sure you could hear it, so we took out the recording gear again, strung it across the restaurant, almost tripped several servers, but managed to get the story on tape. So you'll hear the uh, live in studio, so to speak, interview, and then the live on location interview coming up as well. And don't forget, at the end of the show, I'll tell you how to win one of Allison's CDs, so stay tuned for that. First, though, let's hear some music. This is from Allison Wedding's 2012 album, This Dance. In fact, this song is the free MP3 that you get if you're a member. This is called Carry On. <coughs> and my friend, Allison Wedding. It's great to finally have you on the show. Feels like it's long overdue. Welcome. Thank you so much. Uh, I remember the first time I ever heard you sing, I think was listening to a copy of This Dance, which opens with this really kind of crushing song. It's very sad and beautiful. And I remember thinking, like, what a kind of surprising and daring way to open a record. And I thought it kind of told me a lot about you as a singer. So I thought maybe you could say kind of a few words about that particular piece of music and and why you opened a record with something just so, I mean, it's so exposed and, and I mean, sad in a way. So. Why did you Make your exit way too soon You didn't take a bow And how will I Find the strength to say goodbye When I am still Yeah, um, (laughs) 
now that you bring that up, I guess it was kind of a bold move. But um, first of all, the song was called, or it's called For Will. And I wrote it for a friend of mine named Will Poskett, who's an incredible piano player that I knew in Australia, and he had passed away. And when I wrote the song, uh, I wrote it kind of in a state of complete sadness and also frustration because I couldn't be at his funeral. And that was the way that I coped with that. Um, so yeah, that song meant a lot to me and I wanted to kind of dedicate the entire album to him and his memory. And, uh, yeah, I just think that with an album, you got to start with a bang of some sort. (laughs) (laughs) And for me, that song is a bang of some sort, but just not the typical, you know. Yeah. And and the the string arrangements on that album were done by um, Michael Lee, who's the head of Snarky Puppy. Yay, Snarky Puppy, go Grammy! <laughs> and um, he he just did a, a stunning job with it, you know. And the strings were just really, I love it. So I I don't know. I just felt like it was the perfect statement to get people's attention and also just to give honor to him. And I think um, I think it, it shows a side of you that I like, which is the kind of like dramatic storytelling side, because it leads into this tune "Carry On," which is you know kind of a perfect segue. Even though uh, my guess is that those two songs are not thematically related, not about the same person or subject, but they are. You know, one is about this incredible loss, and the other is about from a you know, a kind of a low place figuring out how to rebuild and kind of rise again. And the, the intro that's, I mean, it's so cinematic and strings and the, not the intro, but the first track. Um, it just really, it feels like it kind of sets the album up as a, as a real statement, as a kind of a cohesive, like picture of a moment in your life. I don't know if that's fair. Absolutely. I try to, you know, this dance was my third album and I try to view each album is like a snapshot of a particular time period um and i definitely write songs from a very personal point of view that doesn't necessarily mean that every song is directly about me but it's either about me or something that i've witnessed very close very closely um yeah so a lot of people think i'm (laughs) a sad (laughs) person because I love to write sad love songs and I'm but I'm not I'm not a sad person I think actually the older I get the happier I am but I do enjoy delving into that and I find it much easier to write about heartbreak than you know la 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 <laughs> life is good I mean I'll, I you know maybe I need to take some lessons from like Mumford and Sons and those those bands that are like hey ho you know yeah, even your tunes that have like the happiest moment, like I think of a tune like um, "Hey Stranger." That's actually the title, not just a repeated phrase, right? Is that what that that's song is called? Yeah, yeah. Um, which has this really like every time it gets to the major section, it's you know it's just really kind of bouncy and up, and it sounds like a pop tune. But then every time it dives back, it's just all these dissonant chords <laughs> mashed against each other, and you're like, "Yeah, you." It's almost a happy. You almost had it. It's almost like a happy pop tune, but it's got to have that bit where it's just like, "Yes," but this is still real life, and let me remind you of that. So, which I really dig. But I will say that I have written a few tunes lately that are actually kind of happy ones. Well, and when the I the proof is in the pudding. When I when I um <laughs> when I perform at the fifty five bar, um actually a couple times ago, uh, Kirby, one of the bartenders, he actually came up to me at the end and goes, "Wow, <laughs> there are a couple happy tunes in that set." <laughs> And I was like, yeah, it is possible. It's not the Alice in Wedding all heartbreak (laughs) review that we we normally get. Exactly. Uh, Do you find since you write lyrics that at least sound very personal that people come up to you after performances responding to the lyrical content of Uh, what you've said? Sometimes. Sometimes. Sometimes it's really a beautiful thing. Um, I'm an artist who really treasures the contact with people after gigs. And I don't mean just the, oh, you sounded great, like, thing. I just, I'd love to take people on a journey. That's, like, one of my biggest goals. Uh, I feel like if I haven't done that, then I haven't done my job. Um, 
it's yes it's nice to have someone come up and go oh that song too tight reminded me of you know how how i feel when i'm fat or whatever um but i did have a really funny experience in australia um same song there's a song on my second album called too tight and i wrote it originally about somebody else but then i kind of realized at the end that it was about myself and it's one of these kind of distorted body image songs and um this woman comes up to me after the gig and she says you know oh i loved your gig and she was like but you know that song too tight i think the message is all wrong there <laughs> and i'm like what <laughs> and she for like 10 minutes tells me she's this you know hypnotherapist and she says that i'm a very powerful woman and that it, it's my uh, job to really leave a strong positive message and the words um, of the chorus of that song are uh, they can't believe this monster she sees they all believe she's out of her mind how but how can she lose this battle with food it's taking control of her life all because her pants are too tight it's funny it's supposed to be funny <laughs> but she felt that I was you know letting every woman down by not saying at the end she's taken back control of her life which would have totally ruined the song <laughs> um no but i do i mean lyrics are extremely extremely important to me i uh, as a listener as well when i listen to other people's music that's why some of uh the contemporary pop r&b whatever genres if i can't understand the lyric I'm like, first of all, distracted and I have to like look it up on Google because I want to know what the story's about. Um, and I also really enforce that when I teach too t with my students because the, as, as singers, we have not only a responsibility of delivering this melody and, you know, bringing them in that way, but the story is so important, you know. glimpse of you somehow to hear your voice and know that you're okay I haven't seen your smile in a long time I love to catch a ray of that sunshine to feel its warmth it melts the pain away I can't Yeah, I've always, uh, maybe this is too simple, but I've always kind of thought in the classic jazz vocal world that there was like the Ella camp and the Billy camp. And in one side, the, on the Ella side, the the song was totally a vehicle. I mean, she was essentially an instrumentalist, and the song was totally a vehicle for her vocal prowess, though not always. There are some songs I think she does actually interpret really beautifully, but most of it is about how amazing her voice is and then the things she does when the words are over. Mm. Whereas in the Billy camp, you know, her instrument was much more limited in range, uh, uh, tonal range, but it was incredibly expressive emotionally. And she was all about like just squeezing every ounce of pathos out of every lyric. And so nowadays, I don't hear too many people who are just about the, the prowess side of things. It seems like, and maybe I'm wrong, but it, it feels to me kind of like the pendulum has slung, swung to the songs actually meaning what they mean. You know, people kind of singing actual songs. And I don't know if that's the influence of the singer-songwriter world or what it is, but at least a lot of the people kind of in the jazz vocal world I hear right. are really singing songs to sing those stories. I don't know what your experience is. Yeah, it seems, I think I agree with you. Um, I, I love what you, your comparison with Ella and Billy right there. And I mean, Ella, 
she did seem overall like even watching live footage of her she always kind of had that jolly vibe um but she could sing the the crap out of a ballad oops can i say crap yes okay you can say all the bad square words on this show because it's not on the radio oh great um she could really sing the crap out of a ballad but they're yeah, but then I, I, somebody had just posted uh, a video of Billie Holiday singing Strange Fruit that I watched. And, yeah, there's a whole other side. You know, it really takes you to a deep, <laughs> yeah. dark place. And I adore, but I, I'm the, my, what I said about Ella is not a criticism no, of no, her. No, no, no. It's just a, yeah, I, I know you weren't taking it that way. But I, just to be clear that though, I don't think her either way has more merit. I just think there are two different ways of approaching, you know, there's no way Billy holiday never would have sung one verse of the tune and then scattered for 15 minutes with right. the band. You know, it's just, that <laughs> just wasn't the way it was. Right. And nowadays that kind of singing, you know, I think, you know, that, that kind of scat that Ella did, for example, is, I mean, it's pretty old fashioned just in terms of stylist, stylistically what we're used to hearing now. I don't think there's as much place for that kind of, you haven't been to one of my live shows. No, either. that's true. <laughs> God, and if there's in- tons of scat in it, I might, might have to keep it that way, even oh, though I really want to hear you. <laughs> bada bing. Hey, how are you? No, I, I, I'm, I'm definitely, improvisation is a big part of what I do, which is was not on that album. Mm. It doesn't necessarily take part. But it's not, um, I would not ever want to compare myself to Ella because she's a goddess. But you strike me more. I've never heard you really improvise. I guess I've seen some live clips, but you strike me more as coming out of the like Bobby McFerrin school of improvising and less of the shooby doo wah. I think it's yeah, school. it's it's a combination of those influences. Um, uh, I worked. I've worked many years with a, an amazing, amazing singer named Rhiannon. Not to be confused with Rihanna. Right. Rhiannon. Um, I call her my vocal vocal guru and she has been, she sang with Bobby McFerrin for 20 something years. I mean, she's still considered a member of the voice of when they do perform. And, um, she, I, I, she's had a huge influence on my improvisation in the fact that she took it from, I've never been shooby doo wop so much. I'm more like a, a baba kind of person, maybe, <laughs> or or more more a la Chet Baker was kind of my big influence as far as like the syllabic choice. Um, but working with Rhiannon opened up this whole other kind of organic, worldly world, something or other. I don't know from another place that has kind of combined and and so it's it's definitely organic. Um, however, I'm very much about singing through chord changes. I mean, that was a big goal of mine. I wanted, when I was studying jazz in high school and college, I always wanted to be able to hang with any instrumentalist that, and I don't even think, I don't know if that was ego or just, I thought it was so amazing that these people could create incredibly sophisticated, beautiful songs over already existing chord changes. And I wanted to be able to do that with any of them, you know? So I I'm try to blend it all together, and it's still a challenge for me because the singer-songwriter thing is such a big deal to me, but also the improv is a big thing for me as well. So trying to get those worlds to meet, you know, in a cohesive way that people kind of go, okay, instead of what the hell is she doing? <laughs> we're uh, we're recording this interview in New York City where you live, but you spend part of every week in Boston because you teach at Berkeley, and actually teaching improv is a big part of what you're doing yes. there. Will you talk about that? Yeah. Um, again, with Rhiannon, and she started this class called Spontaneous Composition, and um, she's no longer teaching there, so I was incredibly honored when she passed the class on to me. And... Um, I, I teach a lot of private lessons as well there, but this class has become kind of my absolute love. Uh, every semester, these group of kids become like my family. And I basically, I don't even feel like a teacher so much. It's more like I'm just kind of a guide for them. I'm trying to take them to their creative edge, uh, working with these, you know, a lot of these exercises that Rhiannon came up with. Some of them are through Bobby McFerrin and some of them I've created on my own as well 
just trying to get them to think outside the box. And, you know, you can, when you're a student at a music school, you can become so cerebral and, and you're always comparing yourself to everyone else. And you do kind of go toward the, oh, am I singing the correct extensions on that chord and whatever. And this class is more of a free improvisational type of thing. We do work with the pianist occasionally, but it's, it's one of those things where you like, you'll get up at the piano and you'll go, okay, can you lay down like a, just a minor sounding ethereal, no time kind of thing. And, uh, let's just start. It's one of those sure. things. So it's really on the spot. And then they do some work with, uh, in groups with some exercises that I give them. And, and sometimes it's solo, just strictly at the end of the semester, they have to do a four minute solo, which they always freak out about. And I tell them, don't even work, don't even plan anything. You just get up there and go. So it's been so rewarding to see these kids open up and some of them have performance anxiety and it helps them through that and just to see the growth and, and, uh, they started a spontaneous composition club, which was really cool because they loved the class and, you know, I, students come back to me and they're like, oh, this helped me with my songwriting because it's a really great place to you know, to kind of come up, if you do five minutes of free improv every day it's, and you record it, it's amazing the ideas you can come up sure, with. Sure, yeah. Um, Carry On started that way for me. I was in an elevator and I just had that, da, 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 that was just there. And it was, and so I recorded it on my iPhone. I have the original <laughs> recording still on my iPhone. You know, it just came out of like a little free improv session and then boom, that was the theme of that song. So when the box set comes out, We'll get the little snippet of your iPhone <laughs> you can recording. Hear, you can hear the elevator. The elevator goes ding. It's really great. That's awesome. <laughs> and is that uh, is that a common thing for you to just have little melodies that you record because they pop into oh, your yeah. head and then absolutely flush them out? Thank goodness for the iPhone little vocal recorder. <laughs> absolutely. Um, I mean, I have different ways of writing, but yeah, I always will. If I if something catchy comes on, I actually another tune that I've just written. It's a brand new tune. Started that way too. Just you know, you know that became the baseline of this new song that I've written, which is a happy song. Sure, it is. It really is. <laughs> haven't heard any of the lyrics yet. <laughs> <laughs> I haven't gotten to the big minor section. All we heard is that pretty little major baseline. So believe it when I hear it. <laughs> hey, stranger, I've known you for a while, and I was. What's happened to your smile? Did the boogeyman scare it away? Do you think you'll reclaim it one day? Hey, stranger, a darkness overwhelms you. Aren't you worried? It'll spread to those around you. talk about when you started writing lyrics or poetry or did you kind of do it did you write a lot of angst-filled poetry in high school like I everybody sure does did. Well? yeah <laughs> of I course did. everyone does you know it's funny i when i go home to visit my folks sometimes i will go through old you know i have like old journals and i'll just read them and i look back and i'm like damn i was hip some of the crap that i wrote was really good and you know, I, I had like these journals and I was drawing little doodles, these really cool looking things. And yeah, I just, I've always been into the lyric side of things. And I remember I, I used to love Duran Duran. 
Uh, yes. I still think they're I great. actually think they're great, but their lyrics are a bit ridiculous. Yes. But, you know, I guess I, I started to think about lyrics in that way. And, and I've always tried to stay away from the cliche stuff. And I, I find that really hard. It can be really hard, you know, but yet trying not to be clever for the sake of being clever. Sure. Is also like, I don't, I don't go, you know, I don't delve into like really difficult vocabulary. I yeah. want people to understand where I'm coming from, but, uh, I like to think metaphorically a lot and trying to state maybe something that is really obvious and maybe not so obvious way. Do some of your songs start? With the words, do you get ideas for lyrics, or do they usually I do, start with that the music? does happen, and I find that that is often the hardest song for me to finish. Usually, the songs that come together, you know, like if I'm sitting at the piano and I have like that maybe that melodic idea, and then it kind of comes together at the same time. Those are the ones that come together the quickest. Yeah, often I, I have had lyrics first, and I just find it a little bit more challenging to. Why find. do you think that is? I don't know. Um, Is it something about having to somehow wrap a melody around a defined yeah, set of words? I think so. I it's just writing songs for me is it's like a birthing process. <laughs> I am not one of the those people. I I have friends in New York that can they they write hundreds of songs. They're just like, oh yeah, I wrote ten songs this week, and I'm like, wow, that's awesome. <laughs> that is so not me. <laughs> You know, I feel, I literally feel like it's almost like the beginning of a migraine or something. I mean, it's not negative like that, but I, I can feel it. I'm like, oh, a song's coming. And I sit down and usually it comes out. And so when it comes all together at the same time, it just, it seems to make sense. But there are times where one comes, you know, the lyrics come first. And yeah, it just feels disjointed at that point. And I, for me, the writing is just... When it comes together, it feels more satisfying. I don't know. Uh, we talked about this a little bit before, and I, I forgot to follow up that uh, as a, a poet and a person who writes primarily poetry in the first person, um, I always have to say to people, you know, not every poem that has I in it is about me. And you mentioned before the same thing, that not every song, you know, that sounds like I'm singing about my own life is actually about my own life. And I wonder, uh, in terms of that connection with the audience, if sometimes people are connecting to things that they mean something to you, but they are not actually, you're not telling a story of your own experience. Right. right. There was a song uh, that I wrote. I never recorded. Oh, no, no. I did record it, actually, but not on my album. It, it ended up on um, uh, an album with Hendrik Merkins and Gabriel Espinosa called From Yucatan to Rio. I might be wrong about this. I can't. I'm trying to remember if that's either that or it's on the second Black Sabbath album. (laughs) (laughs) One of those two. Anyway, it was a song called "We've Come Undone." It was about the end of a relationship, and it was not about my life. It was about somebody's relationship that I saw, and and um, but I I don't mind if people. I'm just over that. I don't care if people think it's about me. I really don't. And when I'm singing it, it is about me. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, I, yeah. I really plug into it and, and it becomes me. Um, I have a new song called Once More that has not been recorded yet that I wrote after seeing that movie. Um, it's, I think it's Amour. Mm-hmm. It was out last year. I think it was nominated. And I was just so fascinated with that story and very moved. And I'm always fascinated with these um, couples that are married for so many years and how do they make that work and so the the song was inspired by that movie actually but it's in first person and um but when i sing it i i i feel like i'm in the midst of that you know you spent a a decent chunk of time in australia we talk about how that happened and and what that was like as a performer for you oh absolutely uh i i got over there because i followed a guy over there who's a great guy um and uh, my intention was to stay over there, you know, four months or so. And then I ended up over there six and a half years. I lived in Melbourne, uh, which is my home away from home. I love Melbourne. And all I can say is if you, anyone listening, there's so many incredible musicians that you do not know. And living over there changed my writing. It changed everything. 
it really, the musicians there inspired me. I, I'm going to name a few just because I, they're on my mind. And if you can check them out, you should. First and foremost, one of my dearest friends uh, is an incredible singer, songwriter, improviser. Uh, her name is Gian Slater. And she's actually getting quite a name here in New York. Because yeah, she's she been comes, here quite a number She of time, comes yeah. here and, and everybody wants to play with her. And she's just stunning. And being around her, being her friend, but also just watching her process was a, a big, it was actually an influence on me, which I don't even know if she really realizes that. Um, she's just phenomenal. Uh, Jamie Ollers is a, a beautiful tenor player. Sam Kiever's uh, incredible pianist. Um, Stephen Magnuson, I played guitar with, or he played guitar for me. Um, actually, we've done some recording recently, and I'm hoping we'll turn into an album. <laughs> um, Michelle Nichols, a beautiful jazz singer. Uh, there's just so many of them I can't even think, and I, I don't want to leave anyone out. But there's just a different kind of thing going on over there. I can't explain it. The music's got a fresh sound, and uh, I just think I wish. It, there really is no excuse that these people aren't well-known all over the world because with the Internet, you know, it sure. seems to bridge the gap. But. It just had a really great influence on me and got me thinking about music in a different way. Definitely, again, outside of the box. And did it eventually become clear that to build a career in this music, you had to be back in the States? Um, I, mm, no, not necessarily that. I was very blessed when I got there. Um, I did a vocal like a, a radio show broadcast like kind of a re recording for a radio show called abc jazz track and they liked it and they decided to release it on the abc jazz label which is like the at the time i don't know if it still is but it was the biggest jazz label in australia so i was just like wow awesome and i was very happy with that album uh, it was kind of more of a an acoustic ECM ish sort of vibe for, you know, compared to what I do now. And they really did a great job promoting it and pushing it. And, and I got to tour. I mean, I didn't realize how lucky I was, but you know, this was 10 years ago and, and life was uh, music <laughs> was different then. the music scene was completely different then. And then I had my second album come out, which was all original and it was a little more electric and it was a different band. And I, it was funny. I I started to get some fan emails that they they were kind of mad. <laughs> this is like the Dylan goes electric thing. Yeah, they were like, <laughs> "What? We wanted another." The, the first album was called The Secret, and they were like, "We want another one of those." And I'm like, "Well, I'm gonna continually evolve. Hopefully, I will come around and do something else you like again." But I, I, I found that a little frustrating, and it made me go, hmm, yeah, maybe it's time to come home and see where I fit in over here. Yeah. And I had lived in L.A. before I went to Australia, so that's when I was like, yeah, let's try New York now. I think and I'm ready. started my heart beating again Where I get out once
And you're from Texas originally, right? I was born in Ohio, but I moved when I was five to Texas. So I consider Texas kind of my, my home. And did you grow up surrounded by music? Did you find it on your own? How did that happen? My dad is very musical, even though he wasn't a musician professionally. He and I used to sing at church when I was little. My parents tell me that I could sing before I could talk. Now, I don't know if I really believe that. But my dad always had a guitar in hand and was singing like the Kingston Trio, Peter, Paul, and Mary, that kind of stuff. I grew up listening to Barbara, Barbara Streisand and Barry Manilow. So, but, you know, he was always singing and we would sing together. And there are recordings I, somewhere on cassette, I think, of us doing little, you know, duos and stuff. And I sound horrible, but it was really... More stuff for the box set, I'm telling you. <laughs> yeah, I need to find them. Uh, yeah. And so, but was there a moment for you where you realized, oh, wait, this is more than just something like I dig doing in church or with my dad, but... Honestly... I never doubted what I wanted to do. I knew it from, it just was never a question. I loved music so much and I just, I don't know, I found the whole thing just fascinating, getting up on stage and being able to communicate in that way. And it never felt like, I, I call myself a performer, but it never really feels like that. It just feels like, for me, it's like a communion. I feel like the connection, it's all about the connection for me. And I just, I never, ever doubted it. I mean, there, don't get me wrong. There are times where I'm like, what am I doing? What? If I wanted to take a vow of poverty, I could right. become a nun. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> wow. Okay. Maybe I should be a personal trainer. Maybe I should, you know, maybe I should have yeah. gotten that law degree. I don't know. But overall, I just, I, I still love it. I, I feel so grateful to have a mo any moment on stage to, or, or not on stage in someone's house, you know, get, just getting together with someone and playing it to me. Every time I get the chance to do it, it's, it's such a gift. And I, I know that sounds a little bit of a, like a Hallmark card, but I really, really sincerely feel that way. And what did you do to pursue a career in music, uh, you know, from Texas? How did you, what was your next move? I went to, like I said, I went to a fine arts high school in Dallas called Booker T. Washington High School for the Performing and Visual Arts. But when I was there, it was called Arts Magnet. And I uh, was really fortunate, like uh, Erica Badu went there. Roy Hargrove went there. I guess Nora Jones went there after I'm older than she is. But uh went there, went to college at North Texas, got the jazz degree there. And then not long after, moved to Los Angeles just to kind of see what was out there and what I could do. And why L.A. instead of New York? Honestly, because I went out to visit L.A. and I had the best time. And I thought, wow, the weather's amazing. Yeah. And, and to me, New York just seemed a little daunting at that time. I don't think I, don't think I would have been able to handle it at that point. But also just, I had a great time in LA uh, visiting. And then when I moved out there, like two weeks after, I was like, oh, what have I done? <laughs> I don't know if this is the right move. But I stayed there for four years. So, you know. And then Australia and then here? Yeah. In New York? Okay. And how did you go about kind of building a community for yourself when you got here and, you know, finding gigs and meeting people to play with? Again, I feel like... God was smiling on me. Um, I have a lot of friends here that have been here for a long time. Really, really wonderful musicians. And so when I first got here, I was just networking like crazy. Just going out and hearing music all the time, which was awesome. And I had a little bit of money saved up so I could do that for a little while. <laughs> uh, but people like... Actually, I have to give a lot of kudos to Tim LaFabe who's an amazing bass player who now, who now lives in L.A. and plays with the Tedeschi Trucks band. Uh, and a fine-looking man who sports an amazing pair of huge glasses. There also, you go. Yes. And a killing bass player. But yes. he, he kind of got me into the 55 bar uh, very, very shortly after I moved here. Which And he also got me – he helped me get into the Rockwood as well. 
Which was amazing because a lot of people, I think, I, th I don't think it's necessarily easy to get a gig at the 55, especially when you just moved and nobody knows who you are. So, and he was playing with me. So that, that was kind of how it started. And I've kind of been playing there. That's my favorite place to play at this point. Um, it's how been... come? Or why, as a person who actually speaks proper how English, come? Might have asked, how come I'll that's your favorite you place come. to play? <laughs> what is it about that you like so much? I love the vibe of the, the, the room it's just great it's inviting it's you know it's a legendary jazz dive bar with just this cool thing about it i can't even i don't even know if i can tell you what it is but i think i love the location i love the people that work there are really great uh it's a simple setup and i just it feels like a living room which again i'm just all about the the intimate connection with the, the audience yeah it is and, definitely my favorite place to hear music also right. yeah you know and i can get a pretty good sound out of their speakers there which is nice <laughs> it kind of sounds like me i think and i like the you know the early sets are free so people come they have their own kind of crowd that comes to a lot of tours show up which is nice get exposed to people from other countries and yeah i just love it I mean, there are other rooms I love, too, that I want to explore. I'm not the best at hustling gigs, but I do love the 55 Bar. I'm very thankful for that. Is kind of being out there hustling still very much what it's about in this town, I would imagine, to, uh, especially as a, seems like as a, well, I was going to say as a vocalist, but I think on, on every instrument there's 87 I, gazillion people. So. Yeah. It's never been about that for me because I, I don't have the desire to play an, a, a ton, ton, ton and oversaturate. Sure. Um, I do want to be singing more. And it's definitely not about the money. I think, and again, as the music business changes, I, I find myself asking this question all the time now. It's like, how does one make money in music? You know, uh, performing in, in New York itself, I think most people do it just because they love to do it. They're not doing it for the money unless they're doing like wedding gigs and that kind of thing. They're doing it because it's just a great place to be and it's a great vibe. But really, uh, to make money, you've got to tour. You've got to sell merch. And maybe if you're really lucky, you get a placement in a movie or television. Get your music placed, which I'm hoping for. Please. <laughs> um, yeah. Uh, yeah, a friend of mine who actually lives a couple floors above where we're sitting right now refers to the jazz industry as fictional, which I've always <laughs> appreciated. Um, you mentioned at the very beginning of this interview, uh, which I was going to bring up anyway, uh, Snarky Puppy, who you play with a lot, and they just won a Grammy, which is yes. really fantastic to see great music rewarded. So, yes. uh, talk a little bit about, tell people who don't know that band about Snarky Puppy, and then tell folks about how you got involved with them. Great. Uh, I met... Michael League a few years back 
now, it's been a few years, in Toronto at the, one of the last IAJE festivals. And he was playing for a beautiful singer who is also a friend of mine named, named Hildegan Yedrum. If you haven't heard her, you need to check her out as well. Uh, he was playing for her, and I was just blown away by his playing. And just he has this really great presence on stage. And I was like, who is that? You know, and got to know each other a bit. And then he ended up moving to New York, and then I heard that band and was blown away, just a really fresh sound. The band consists of a core group of about eight guys, but depending on where they are and what they're doing, it can go up to like 30, you know? it's a, They've been around for nine or 10 years. They started in Denton at North Texas, around that area. And um, when Michael moved here and Tim LaFave had left, to go to LA and was touring a lot with Chris Bodie. I started playing with Michael. He was my bass player and I just um, felt really inspired by him and he he seems to really understand my music and, and um, he asked if I wanted to be on their label. And I was like, yeah. So I'm one of the first artists on the Ground Up label, which is now gonna probably explode because they won the Grammy. <laughs> <clears throat> but yeah, so I just have been so honored to be an opening act for them occasionally. I love it. Uh, they're a great group of guys who are not only incredible musicians, but they're just incredible guys. And the shows are never the same. You know, they're, they're incredibly wonderful jazz musicians, but they also play all these different styles that the music is, is, I, I don't even know what to call it really. Cause it's not jazz and it's not if i say fusion i mean a fusion of styles so maybe like a hybrid of different styles and uh it's been great uh being on tour with them and people hear my music that maybe normally wouldn't but they're they're amazing they and it's i can't say enough how happy i am that they won that grammy and not just because they're my friends but because the amount of work that Michael has put into that group and the entire group and, you know, not, they, they tour, it's not glamorous when they tour, you know, for a long time they were sleeping on people's floors and the van that they that they have is pretty funny. I'm, I, I, if I had the money, I would buy them a tour bus. I really <laughs> would. But to see them work their butts off for so many years and then for them to win that award with Layla, who is also, a, Layla she's Hathaway. just ph phenomenal. Uh, just made me go, yes, there's still good things happening in the world. Yeah. Oh, that's great. Uh, I'll post it for folks listening, post a video or a link to a video in the show notes of you singing Carry On with them, which is oh, a really great. brilliant performance that people Thank should see. Thank you. Uh, you mentioned you've been writing new, quote, happy, unquote, songs. <laughs> um, are these for uh, the next recording project, hopefully? I hope so. Like I said... Um, there's when stuff I, from Australia, too, you said, right? So, right. Yeah. When I was in Australia, I did some recording with Stephen Magnuson, who's a phenomenal guitarist, just duo stuff. And it was kind of crazy. It was pretty much like one take, just do it. Of know? all new music that you had written some for that it, purpose? Or? Some of it was new and some of it was old, older, but hadn't been recorded. And a couple of covers, actually. There's a Peter Gabriel Ooh, which one? tune in there. It's called Washing of the Water, oh God, which is like song. one of my favorite songs. Oh, that's such I, a good song. I do that on my gigs now. You should come to one of my gigs. Well, I don't live in New I York. I know, that's true. I tell everyone else <laughs> to go to your gigs all the time. <laughs> Thank you. I appreciate that. God. Um, it's a tough room, folks. <laughs> but there's also a couple of songs that I want to record with my group that I'm working with now, uh, which... The group is uh, Ross Peterson on drums, Pete McCann on guitar, and Michael League when he's around. But also I'm working with a beautiful bassist named Matt Aronoff, who plays a lot with Peter Eldridge. Yes. I don't know if you're and familiar it, uh, well, with Matt is quite possibly my favorite working bassist. He's an amazing player and an amazing guy. Yeah. So I, there, are, there are a few tunes that I'd like to record with a group, but I'm also, I'm, a lot of people have been encouraging me to do a solo recording just piano and voice i play piano and um so i'm wondering i'm just trying to decide if i'm going to do maybe two different recordings or try to do it all in one and mix it up so i haven't quite figured that out yet and do you have any kind of timetable for that or i would like to get it done this year <laughs> 
it's been two years since my last recording and I really don't like to go more than two years. Yeah. That's a goal of mine is to not go more than two years. Um, hope maybe if all goes well, I would like to wait and maybe do in the fall. I, my last album, I released it in the summer and I realized that's not always the best thing to do because people are out of town, reviewers and that kind of thing. Yeah. It's not always easy. Well, I'm excited to hear the new music. Thank you. Yeah. My guest is Allison Wedding. She's a phenomenal vocalist and a really good person, and I'm very glad to finally have you on the show. Thanks, Thanks for Thanks for having me. This has been great. So obviously we're not in, in Allison's house anymore. Now we're at Naruto Ramen in Ooh, Brooklyn, which first of all awesome. is, yes, is an awesome ramen place. We're here with uh, Allison and also with Nadia Nordhaus, who's been on the show too, and whose album is amazing, and you should all buy She's it. She's incredible. She is incredible. One of New York's finest trumpet players. Absolutely. One none. of the world's finest I will trumpet, fight. trumpet players. I actually. will fight anyone who says otherwise. And I'll lose, but I'll still fight. Um, so you told us a story that for some reason that will never be clear <laughs> to me or anyone else, you neglected to tell during the actual interview in the pristine quiet of your apartment. So tell us uh, about Bobby McFerrin and your recent encounter with him. Okay. I heard that Bobby McFerrin was playing Lincoln Center recently with his, uh, he was doing that spiritual band tour thing. And I love him. I always have. And he doesn't know me from Adam, by the way. just want to say that. Um, anyway, I know for a fact that in his performances, he will always offer the mic out to people in the audience. So I intentionally spent a pretty penny to sit on the second row with the hopes that maybe I could grab that microphone and sing with him. And uh, he kept kind of coming out and he would grab people off the front row and it happened uh, a few times and I, I kind of would get up in my seat and, uh, and then I would sit down and kind of chickened out. My friend Lauren, who was sitting next to me, kept going, come on, go, girl, go. So finally, I thought it was over. Like, I thought he wasn't doing that stuff anymore. And then he came out again with the mic, and I just kind of sat up. And, and he kind of started passing the microphone back. But I also noticed there was someone behind me, I think, that wanted to do it as well. And I felt really kind of torn between letting them have their shot or me getting up there. And Lauren, of course, goes, go! You know, and, and, and I'm like, is this okay? You know, and he's, he's like, come on, come up. So... Basically, nervous as all get out, I run up there on stage and I plop my butt up on stage with him. He's sitting on the edge of the stage. <clears throat> and he's like, oh, you know, he just kind of looks at me and I start to improvise. And I stop and I look at him because I wanted to trade with him. That was kind of my whole thing was to sing with him. And uh, he just looked at me and goes, keep going. <laughs> and I'm like, oh, okay, so I keep going. And then I look at him again, like trying to get him to come in with me. And he, and he just goes, keep going. So I'm going and going. And then he's like, sing the head. You know, it was like he's got the whole world in his hands. So I sang that. And uh, he's, he keeps telling me to keep going. And then he's like, ladies and gentlemen, Allison. You know, he asked me my name when I got up there. And when I was hugging him before I got off stage, I said to him, oh, I really wanted to sing with you. And he went, oh, okay then. And he turns to the band and he cuts them out and, and he says to the audience, she's not done yet. <laughs> and then he starts in on his, you know, beating his chest, doing a baseline thing. And then we, we soloed together, or, you know, we did a duo together, which was my whole point of doing it. So it was, it was awesome. Otherworldly, definitely. That's fantastic. Thank you for telling that story. <laughs> You're welcome. Thanks now, for hearing. Finally. <laughs> and so come to Naruto Ramen. <laughs> Bye, everyone. The tide has turned. The storm moved on. And it's no surprise. You see it in my eyes You see it in my eyes The angst expired The pain subsides The quiet
That's music from Allison Wedding's 2012 album, This Dance. As I mentioned at the start of the show, I'm giving away four copies of this album. The first four people to email jason at thejazzsession.com with wedding in the subject line will win a CD. People tend to assume everyone else has already entered and they don't send an email, but remember that it takes a while to listen to one of these shows, and not everybody listens to it at, you know, 5 a.m. on the day that it's posted, so the chances that you might get to the end of the episode and hear this before somebody else does are pretty decent. So take a shot, send an email to jason at thejazzsession.com with wedding in the subject line, and there's a reasonable chance that you'll win one of the four CDs. Thanks to the Respect Sextet for the theme music to this show. Thanks to Dave Rabel for the show's logo. If you need professional writing services, a bio, a Wikipedia page, a press release, visit my other site, cranewrites.com. I've done writing for many artists you'll know. And if you or someone you know needs those kinds of services, please visit cranewrites.com, check out my samples, and then email me for more information about rates and schedules. Thanks so much for listening. Come back next time for another conversation about jazz on The Jazz Session. Bye. Bye.